Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? So good or not good? What was it? So good. Oh, okay. So if, it's, if you're not doing good, it's going to get better. So just just wait. You just wait. So I, I have some funny things for you this morning. I thought they were funny. My criteria for what I bring is it has to make me laugh. So if I laugh, then I'm, I'm like, okay. So I just set you guys up to judge me based on my sense of humor. So <laughs> I saw a guy at Starbucks today. This is for Vince. I saw a guy at Starbucks today. No phone, no iPhone, no tablet, no laptop. He just sat there drinking coffee like a psychopath. <laughs> this one, I, don't, I, got a, I got a huge giggle on. Okay, I saw, I saw a microbiologist today. He was bigger than I expected. <laughs> hey, there's my sense of humor right there. <laughs> He's, I thought he was going to be smaller. <laughs> my... W- my wife accused me of stealing her. This is, this one's actually for my wife. She's uh, she's very smart. She uh, she's very good at grammar, and uh, I'm I'm not as much. My wife accused me of stealing her thesaurus. Not only was I shocked, but I was appalled, aghast, and dismayed. <laughs> I have I have one more for you. I called the doctor. And I said, my wife is going into labor. What should I do? Is this her first child, he asked. No, this is her husband. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, God. Holy Spirit, we just thank you you're here. We just thank you, God, that you are fun. Just thank you that you are fun, that you created joy, you created laughter. We thank you that when you describe the kingdom, you said it's righteousness, peace, and joy. So God, we just pray more joy coming into our lives today. God, we just give you this time that we have. And in fact, let's just do this. Sometimes we do this. Put your hand on your heart. Just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me this morning. I'm wide open for whatever you have for me. Yeah, we just bless everyone here. God, help us to have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start in Genesis 39 today. <clears throat> this is a story, or this is part of a story, that'll make you feel better about your life. It's about Joseph. (laughs) It's about Joseph. (laughs) This is right after Joseph was thrown into a pit, betrayed by all his brothers. And then to make it worse, they didn't come back and pull him out and say, ha ha, wanted to just rib you a little bit, but they sold him into slavery, which was an alternative to killing him. So it was actually a pretty good alternative. So they sold him into slavery 
And uh, then we're going to pick it up from there. Genesis 39. We're going to read five verses in Genesis 39. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer of his house and all that he owned and put in his charge. It came about that from the time he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the, Lord bless, uh, thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So Joseph is going through this amazingly difficult time. And I know there's, there's people, um, something we're going to talk about today is I know a lot of people that I've been talking to are going through a tough season. But, you know, I was kind of kidding when I said this will make you feel better about your life, but I was kind of serious too. Everything that the people I know that's going through, none of us, how many have just recently been betrayed by your whole family and then sold into slavery and you're not in your own home anymore? Anybody? We got one, <laughs> one right here. <laughs> So things were bad. Things were, this, this doesn't get much worse. But here's the amazing thing is in the middle of what would be just absolutely devastating to go through, God says in verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. This is just amazing to me. I think it just, I was just pondering this this week. And number one, it just made me realize God defines success much different than we do. God's idea of success is much different than ours. We may define success as having the job we want or when home life is good or when relationships are good or we don't have many problems in our life. But do you realize Joseph had none of those things? He had none of those things. His, he didn't have the job he wanted. His home life was terrible. All his brothers just betrayed him. He had no relationships. He was removed from his home. He had lots of problems. So God defines success differently than we do. So we have to ask the question, what is success in God's eyes? Why would God call Joseph a successful man in, the, in this worst moment probably of his entire life? What is success in God's eyes? Well, number one, success is that we have Jesus. Success is that we have Jesus. Now, in this world, it doesn't matter how much you have, how much you acquire. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? He doesn't have Jesus. So what the world looks at and says, wow, that's success. They've made it. They've got the money. They've got the fame. They've got the power. All of it's meaningless without Jesus. 
All of it's empty without Jesus. Joseph is an amazing picture of what it looks like to live in a grace covenant with God's favor on your life. So number one, what is success in God's eyes? It's that we have Jesus. Joseph is a picture of grace and favor that we have in Christ. Life is short. I was reminded of that just recently. Um, almost exactly a month ago, my brother, who's five years younger than me, had a near-death experience, almost lost his life. And, and thankfully, I believe it was a miracle we had our church praying. He's had a 100% recovery, but when, it, when this first happened, we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And it just reminded me, man, we don't, we don't know how much longer we have. We don't know. None of us are guaranteed the rest of the day. Life is short, and in the end, the thing that matters the most is do you know Jesus? So what else is success in God's eyes? Uh, let's look at verse 3 again, Genesis 39.3. It says, now his master saw that the Lord was with him. You're successful because God is with you. You're successful because God is with you. Do you see how God defines success much differently than we do? And how many know we need God's perspective on what he thinks about things like success? We need to have his perspective. Success has nothing to do with possessions and with And it has nothing to do with things aligning in your life the way that you think they should. And it has everything to know with knowing Jesus and having his presence in your life. It has everything to do with knowing Jesus and having his presence in your life. Success is knowing him. So the way we become more successful is to know him more. Success is knowing him the way we become more successful is knowing him more, loving him more. So, so many people I've talked to lately have been in a challenging season. And if we judge ourselves based on our circumstances, we'll probably very rarely feel successful. If you judge yourself based on how things are going how your relationships are going, how, how much money you have, how th well things are going at work, if things are not going bad at home, you'll probably very rarely feel like a successful person. But if you see with God's eyes, God says, if you have Jesus, you're successful. Success in God's eyes is having his presence, knowing the Lord. So if you have God's perspective, you can begin to believe that you're successful in all seasons, even like Joseph when he is in what seems like the worst circumstance you could possibly imagine. God says, that's a successful man. How many know that challenges in your life aren't necessarily a sign that you're doing something wrong? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. <laughs> Needs to be said. 
But so many times, it's not. So many times, challenges in your life are not necessarily a sign that you're doing something wrong. I want to tell you a story. I was reading this this week. It's Matthew chapter 3 and 4. This is Jesus. He, this is really important to understand. This is before his ministry. And he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John says one of my favorite things in the New Testament. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes, John baptizes him, and this amazing, Jesus has this amazing encounter with the Father. The Bible says the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus and lands on him like a dove and remains. It's important when it says that the Holy Spirit remained on him because up to this time, the Holy Spirit would show up, but he would touch people for a certain moment or a purpose or a season, and then he would lift. But this is a picture when the, when the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down in this encounter that Jesus had, and it landed on him, and it remained. This is a picture of what we have in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. He never leaves. He never lifts. He remains. So he has this encounter with the Father. Holy Spirit comes upon him and remains. And then a voice comes out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's never done a miracle yet. He hasn't started his ministry yet. How many know this is the way God the Father works? Those of you, you know, we have Becky. She has this beautiful little baby over here. And our, ch our children, when they're born, they just start out loved. We, they, they start knowing that they're loved. We just adore them. We just adore them. We're pouring out love. They start from a place of love. Their baby, there's nothing that she can do for them. And she's completely loved by them. So this is how we start out. And so this is, God shows us this picture where before Jesus has done anything, he's like, this is my son whom I am well pleased. So Jesus has this amazing encounter. Heaven's open. Holy Spirit comes down. The voice of God speaks to him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then there's a peculiar thing that happens at the end of this story. This is Matthew 4.1. This is right after this encounter. Right after. There's nothing else in between. He has this encounter. And then you have Matthew 4.1. says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's not how I would have written that. That doesn't seem like, to me, the next thing that should hap happen. But that's the next thing that happened. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How many, of you, how many of you have had an encounter with God and crazy trials right after? You don't have to raise your hand, but <laughs> you can if you want. Yeah, so many people have had this like amazing encounter with God. In fact, you know, when we were doing evangelism, so many people, we would see like, you know, there's that scripture that talks about some people receive the word and then the enemy just comes and tries to snatch it and we see that happen with so many people it's like they're like so excited and they receive the word and then they get home and their people their friends or family are like well, you did what and it's like the enemy trying to snatch that away from them so the question is why does God allow trials in our lives 
I want to read 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 12 and 13. Why does God allow trials? I'm reading in the Passion. It says, Beloved friends, if life gets extremely difficult with many tests, don't be bewildered as though something strange were overwhelming you. Instead, continue to rejoice, for you in a measure have shared in the sufferings of Jesus, so that, everybody say so that, so that you can share in the revelation of his glory and celebrate with even greater gladness. What does that mean? More joy. Upgrade. So when you're going through trials, remember that there's a so that. God doesn't cause all the trials in your life, but he always provides the so that. It's like, he really does work all things together for your good so that he can raise you higher, so that he can get more joy into your life. Jesus wasn't led into the wilderness because he did something wrong. He was taken into the wilderness so God could bring him even higher. You see this chain of events. God imparts the Holy Spirit on him. He imparts identity, and then he sends him into this trial so that he can bring him even higher. So when you're going through a trial, instead of looking at it as like, why is this happening to me? God, what are you doing to me? We need to start to see that God is actually a God who takes trials and he actually uses them to actually bring us higher. This is why James was like, I get excited when there's a trial. It's in the book of James chapter one. He's like, rejoice when you have trials. Why? Because he had an understanding. God's going to use this to bring me closer. God's going to use this to bring more joy into my life. So when we have a trial, we can either have an offense against God that we have this trial, or we can let it draw us closer to him. And he wants it to let us, he wants it to draw us closer. He wants to bring us closer and to upgrade us and to bring more joy into our life. So a good perspective when facing challenges is this. God is using this circumstance to bring me even closer to him. That's it. Just take that and go home. God's using every trial, every circumstance that doesn't go your way. He's using it to bring you closer to him. I was kidding about There's a little more, but, but that's really like, that's really it. It's like we need to see trials how God sees them. It's like he's trying to get more life into us. Man, Bill, Bill Johnson, who just recently lost his wife, he just like, he preached the week after, after he lost his wife, and he's just like, I don't want to waste this opportunity. It's like this is an opportunity for me to come and worship the Lord. In, in, in a hard moment, in a moment of devastation, pain, disappointment. Here I am, Lord. I worship you. I give you my praise. Don't waste the moments. 
I've, I've wasted a lot of those moments by getting angry with God, by like disconnecting. Okay, fine. We can throw up our hands and we waste the moment instead of saying, God, what are you trying to do in my life? I know who you are. I know your character. I know that you're good. I know that there's a so that. So that you can take me closer. So that you can bring more joy into my life. And we go through trials in this life that we'll never experience in the next life. In heaven. We only have this life as an opportunity to face trials and say, God, here I am. What are you doing? Draw me closer to you, God. What lies am I believing, God? Oh, man, that's a great question to ask when you're going through trials. God, what lies am I believing about this? Break these lies in my heart, these strongholds, so I can come closer to you. Maybe he'll use a trial in your life to expose lies that you're believing about his character so that he can bring you closer. When you go through challenging times, you can either draw closer or you can run away. Ask the Lord in, this dip, in these difficult seasons. Ask him, Lord, what do you want to add to me in the area of presence? What do you want to add to me in the area of identity? A lot of times when things are hard, when things go wrong, it's like it touches on identity in our life. It's like, yep, I'm disappointed again. I was disappointed as a child, and now I'm disappointed again by another person in my life that's supposed to be leading me, that's supposed to be helping me. I'm disappointed again. And so God will use these moments, and I've had lots of these moments, where God's like, hey, I'm your dad. You don't need their approval. You have my approval. Stop looking to other people for your identity. So he'll use those moments to take us closer to upgrade our identity. I've had some of the biggest breakthroughs, and I know this is not just me. I know there's so many people that you would say this is true. I've had so many breakthroughs right after really hard moments, really hard seasons. Probably the worst season I can remember in my adult life Within a month after that season or this, this moment that happened, I had the, the, the most amazing encounter with Father God that changed my life. And it was right after one of these moments where I was just, I feel disappointed, I feel devastated, I feel let down. And within a month, I had this amazing encounter with Father God that just changed everything. God, what are you doing? We need to have this perspective. God is using this circumstance to bring me closer to him. We need to understand that success isn't a lack of challenges in our life. <clears throat> but success is having Jesus and experiencing his presence. When we have that definition of, of success, we can thrive in every season, no matter what happens. Success is having Jesus and having his presence. If we have his presence, there's nothing you can't face. 
There's nothing that will overwhelm you. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Dr. Mary Neal and her heaven encounter. And really, that story just really impacted me. She died and went to heaven, if you haven't heard the story. But one of the things that was really impactful to me in the story, maybe the most impactful thing, is that after she came back to earth, 10 years later, her oldest son passed away. He was, he was hit by a, a car and instantly killed. And there's something that she said that just, I think, is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. She's like, you know, meeting Jesus, being in heaven, meeting Jesus, it didn't spare me from the pain that it, I had from losing my child. She said, I went through a normal grief process, as you can imagine. And she said, but there wasn't a day, and even in my darkest day, where I didn't have peace and joy because I had his presence. She said, I learned to live with his presence. And when that happened, as devastating as it was, there wasn't a day in that dark season that I didn't have peace and joy because I had his presence. That challenged me. <laughs> I can lose my peace if I get cut off in traffic. We can lose our peace if we get an unexpected bill or if something breaks down or if someone says something to us. Our peace can so easily lift. You hear a bad news report. But Dr. Mary Neal, she's talking about a higher way of living where we learn to live with an awareness of his presence in our life, and then nothing can overwhelm us because we have his presence. There's nothing that we can't do if we have his presence. There's nothing that can overwhelm us. There's nothing that can overtake us as long as we have his presence. That's why someone like Dr. Mary Neal can say, yeah, it was devastating, but I, every day I had peace and joy because I had his presence. The goal in life is him. It's him. It's not the stuff. It's not even what we can do for him. It's knowing him. How many know God's more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you? That's everything. He doesn't want you to just be good at performing and your heart's not in it. He's more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. And sometimes your life might feel like, why am I not getting this thing that I want? And it's like, God's trying to take you back and he's like, there's something I need to get in you before I can take you into this thing that I've called you to do. But I'm more concerned with what's happening in you. It's the same thing with our kids. Our kids need to know in their heart, we're more concerned with what's happening in their heart than their outward behavior. If your kids know that, it settles their heart deeply. If they know that they know, mom and dad care more about me and what's happening in me than if I'm behaving correctly. Because you can create, <laughs> I'm sure we've all seen this, you can create perfectly well-behaved soldiers who their heart's not in it and they radically rebel later in life. Because they didn't feel loved. They just knew, I, I'd obey or i get punished. How many know that is not our God? Some people think that is our God. 
That's not our God. He doesn't motivate us with a fear of punishment. The goal in life is him. To know him more, to love him more. Just like Jesus, I want to love you more. God, I want to love you more. Bring me closer. How many know we don't live that out by running to the hills and becoming monks? No, we do it in the middle of life. We do it in the midst of everything that we're doing. Like, God, I need to know you more. We do it in the middle of trials. We do it in the middle of the heights of life. We do it in the middle of the valleys of life. The way we live this out is by doing all the things, but with the pursuit of more of him in our lives. Bring him into everything. Bring him into everything. His presence is always right there with you. Joy spoke last week about Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't seek the things. Seek him. And all the things will be taken care of. He's the goal. His presence is the goal. His knowing him, loving him, that's the goal. And all the things, he takes care of the things. Lastly, I want to talk to you about disappointment. Sometimes as we face challenges in life, especially with people, we get disappointed. And if you don't deal with disappointment, it can start to rob you of your peace. So I was, I was processing some disappointment with the Lord this week, and I feel like he said, go look at the definition of disappointment. So here's the definition of disappointment. Sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectation. Sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectation. Sometimes we put expectation on people for who we think they should be, and it keeps us from loving them where they're at. So we have an expectation. They don't meet the expectation. And instead of realizing we probably shouldn't have put this expectation on him, we turn our love off. You don't meet my expectation. I'm going to turn my love off. We get disappointed. Sometimes I can be disappointed that people don't think like me. I can be disappointed that people don't act like me. But there's such a freedom in removing our expectations from people and just loving them where they're at. Now, how many know there's a difference between Loving someone where they're at and accepting them where they're at. Huge difference. And the world gets this one confused all the time. 
If someone's living in dysfunction, we don't need to coddle them in their dysfunction. The world gets acceptance and love confused all the time. We don't accept and coddle people in their dysfunction, but we do love people in their dysfunction, and that actually helps bring them out of it. It's his love that actually never fails. It's not our judgment. It's not when we turn our, lo- our love off. I, I know it'll fix them. I'll just shun. That'll get them to change their heart. Oh, maybe I'll just kind of treat them coldly. That'll, that'll work. Their heart will change for sure now. No, it's, it's love. It's that we, we don't coddle people in their dysfunction. We say, hey, I actually don't agree with, with this and what you're doing, but I love you. I'm not going to turn my love off. I'm still here. How can I help you? If we turn our love off when someone disappoints us, we're certainly not reflecting the Father's heart from them. How many know the Father doesn't turn his heart away from us when we, when we blow it? He never turns his heart away from us. That's literally the definition. I've said this before, but when it says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, one of the translations is, is no, never, ever. Never leave you, never forsake you. And another deep dive when you look at that, when he says, I'll never forsake you, it means I'll never turn my heart from you. So in our worst moment, in, when, in our dysfunction, when we don't get it, get it, God never turns his heart from us. So if we're going to take on the mind of Christ and we're going to have God's hearts for people, we don't turn our heart away from them when they disappoint us. Jesus was famous for loving people in the middle of their dysfunction. It drove the religious people crazy. One of the reasons they hated him. Hey, do you, does your master realize who he's sitting with? That's a, that's a prostitute. And that guy's a tax collector and he's just hanging out with them? Does, does, he, does he realize who they are? Um, I don't know, let me go ask him. Hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, did you know that's a prostitute and this guy's a tax collector? Oh, yeah, I knew that. Go back and tell that guy I came for the sick, not the healthy. Hey, Jesus says he came for the sick, not the healthy. He was famous for loving people in the middle of their dysfunction. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm just loving someone in the middle of their brokenness, dysfunction. He never empowered their sin. You don't, you're not empowering someone's dysfunction and sin by loving them. He said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. But he showed grace and love, and he actually saved her life. She was marked from that moment on, she was about to be killed. Instead, she encountered grace, love, that marked her life. But he never empowered their sin. He just loved them in their dysfunction. So we all face disappointment. There's, not, there's nobody here that hasn't faced disappointment. We've all faced it. 
So what do we do with it? I want to give you just a few things you can do with disappointment. Number one, ask God what he wants to do with it in your life. Romans 8, 28. He really does work all things together for your good. So when you believe that and you encounter disappointment, you say, oh, God wants to use this for my good. God, what are you doing in this moment? What do you want to do in this moment of my disappointment? He'll use it to bring you closer to him. He'll use it to bring more healing into your life. So that, remember the so that? So that he can bring you higher. So that he can get more joy in your life. So the first thing is when we get disappointed, we can either run away from God, get mad at God, or we can press in. God, what are you doing in this? What are you doing? What do you want to do? How how are you going to upgrade me in this? So number one, when you get disappointed, ask God what he wants to do with it in your life. Maybe you put an expectation on someone that you should have never put on them. Number two, realize that God is never disappointed in you. Let me know God is pleased with you and he is at peace with you. So he's never disappointed in you. He doesn't turn his heart away from you. There's something about knowing that that helps us not be disappointed in ourselves and not be disappointed in other people. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, God. I'm putting expectations on people that did not belong on them, and you don't, you're not doing this to me. You're loving me in the middle of my dysfunction. God, help me to behave like you. Help me to have the mind of Christ. Help me to love this person like you love them. I remove the expectation. Somebody you, some of you need to remove the expectation that you've put on people and just love them where they're at. Sometimes the disappointment has to do with being disappointed in in ourselves or others. But there's something about realizing that God isn't disappointed in you that helps you remove the expectations off of yourself and others. So number one, ask God what he wants to do with it in your life. Number two, realize God is never disappointed in you. And number three, this is so important. Pastors are always afraid to say this, and I understand why after being a pastor for a few years. Forgive the people. Man, you can't skip this one. Forgive the people associated with your disappointment. Maybe it's not a specific person, but if there's any people associated with your disappointment, you need to forgive the people. Forgive them. Release them from judgment. Release them from the expectation you put on them. Forgive them. So a good perspective when facing a challenge or a disappointment is this. God is using this circumstance circumstance to bring me even closer to him. He's using this moment to bring me even closer This is what life is all about, knowing God, 
learning to love him more and learning to love each other more. That's it. Pastor Joy, come on up.